Our passages this morning are taken from Isaiah 61, 1 to 3, and from Mark 5, 25 to 34. Isaiah 61, 1 to 3. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Mark 5, 25 to 34. And a woman who had been there had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Today, we're continuing our sermon series on Isaiah 61, looking at this Jesus manifesto, looking at Jesus' kingdom, his priorities and his values. And the backdrop to the book of Isaiah is that the people of God are wondering where is God in this time of uncertainty and turmoil. The people of God are divided. They fear for their safety and they're living in tumultuous times. And it's in this setting that God calls the prophet Isaiah to speak to his people. And in a similar way today, I think in 2018, we also live in uncertain and challenging times. If you look at the world, it's easy to ask yourself, what is going on? We can become overwhelmed by the challenges we face in our contemporary times. I think I struggle every day to make sense of what is going on in the world. And for many of us, we'll look at our own lives and struggle to make sense of the things going on in our own lives. Perhaps some of you are sitting here this morning thinking, this is just not how I thought my life would pan out. Or maybe by this age, I thought I would have accomplished this by now. Maybe it's a, I thought I would have met someone, or I didn't think this person was going to leave. Or how am I still waiting for these things to happen after all these years? And the question I want to explore this morning is where do we find hope in darkness? Where do we find hope in darkness? See, the world will tell you to look within yourself to solve your problems. You just gotta dig deep 
and find the resources and reserves within you to solve your situations. And if I'm honest, my default position for a long time was to revert to myself. I would try and solve my own problems by myself. And I really still struggle to ask people for help. I'm kind of worried that if I let people know what's really going on, if I let the guard down, what will people think? But the first point that I want to ask this morning in exploring this question of where do we find hope is to recognize your reality. Recognize your reality. You see, the woman in Mark 5, she recognized her reality. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. She'd been physically sick for 12 years. And not only, only has she suffered physically in trying to find a cure for her sickness, she'd also depleted all of her financial resources. She'd gone from doctor to doctor to doctor, and no one was able to offer any solution. She was suffering physically, and she was suffering financially. And at that time, having an illness like the one that she had prevented her from having access to certain people and to certain places. Because she was considered ritually unclean, she would not have been allowed to go into the temple. And she also had no money to make any sacrifices or offerings. She had spent over a decade in complete obscurity because of her illness. And some of us here will know how challenging having a health problem is. Maybe you yourself have had health problems, or maybe it's someone that you know has just been sick for a very long time, and there's just no breakthrough. Things are not getting better. Perhaps some of us are going through real financial difficulty. You know, jobs are uncertain. We're not sure how we're gonna make ends meet. Everything in life just feels really insecure. But I think for some of us, recognizing our reality means identifying some of the different idols in our life, the things that we've put before God. The Bible says that deep inside, all of us are broken. All of us have gone our own way. We've all tried to be the Lord of our own lives. We worship other things. And inside, we feel broken. We feel inadequate. We have this constant need to try and prove ourselves, this constant striving we're continually going to different doctors to look for a cure for our own brokenness. And maybe for some of us, that doctor is a career or a job. For some of us, it's a relationship or a person. If only I could get that promotion, get that job, or find that person, then I'd finally be somebody. I'd finally be significant. I would be respected. I can prove that I'm lovable, that I'm worth something. And so many of us have put our hope and trust in things that will never be able to quench that deep thirst that lives within us that can only be filled by God. We all experience disappointment, discouragement, and disillusionment. In my own life, I've come to God with my own agenda. I've wanted God to do things for me. And I was hoping that he would get me to some of the doctors I thought that those things were the things that would fulfill me. I used to live in New York and I, I worked like 90 hour weeks and my career, my work was my doctor, it was my idol. 
And it took me a long time to realize that if you come to Jesus, not asking him to help you find your true love, but to be your true love, that's something totally different. That's the source of hope right there. In the Old Testament, when something went really wrong in your life, you would go to the fireplace and you would put ashes on your forehead. You would pour ashes over yourself and you looked ugly and you were dirty. And what you were saying is that life is like that. We are all going to ashes. I was really close to my dad. And he was a really quiet man. Um, he's kind of typical of that generation of Chinese parent. He just didn't say very much. He was a man of few words. But he was one of the most generous and self-sacrificial and wisest people that I knew. And I used to talk to my dad about a lot of things. I used to kind of like ask for his advice. And one of the things we used to do is we'd sit at the breakfast table and he'd be reading the paper. And I'd just be like ranting about something and he would just listen to me. And in 2015, um, during Chinese New Year, my dad was diagnosed with advanced stage lung cancer, and 10 months later, just before Christmas, he passed away, and he was 64 years old. He was one year shy of retirement, and I think my parents had always just looked forward to the day my dad retired. They would spend some quality time together, maybe do a bit of traveling, um, but probably mostly spend time with the grandkids, um, because my dad just adored my nephew, Theo. And I will never forget the day my dad passed away. I will never forget that room at UCH Hospital in Houston, where you watch your loved one leave this world. There are no words to describe what happens to you at the funeral of someone you love. I remember I used to read the Old Testament and I would see this word wailing and ashes and sackcloth. And I actually, looking back, had no understanding of what that word meant until the day of my dad's funeral. That pain is so deep and guttural and the wailing is so undignified, but there's just no words to describe all that you feel. I remember standing in the crematorium, clinging onto the side of my dad's coffin, not wanting him to go to ashes. My heart was so broken. I was in complete despair, in complete desperation, I would have done anything to bring him back. I would have given anything for just some more time. But there was nothing I could do. I felt completely helpless. My life felt like it was out of my control. And the reality is that so many of the things in my life were out of my control. Whatever sense of control I had was a complete illusion. And when my dad died, I was in a completely desperate situation. I honestly felt like there was no hope. And all I felt was darkness for a very long time. My life was covered in ashes. So what does this woman do? She directs her desperation. She directs her desperation. This woman who's been bleeding for 12 years is completely desperate. Her situation is completely dire. And somehow she hears about Jesus and she goes to find him. She thinks, if I just touch 
his clothes, I will be healed. And everyone in the crowd is jostling around Jesus, looking for a miracle. But this woman had come to realize that she was at the end of her rope. She was desperate. She had no other resources or reserves within herself to draw on. The woman had weighed up her options. It was either gonna be a life of complete obscurity, suffering, or pain, or she could risk everything and come to Jesus. And I think the main reason why people find it so hard to come to Jesus is because of pride. I think it takes humility to ask for help. Faith is simply admitting that you are helpless and that you need help. In the eyes of the world, being desperate is not a desirable thing. The world doesn't have time for desperate people. The world doesn't have time for weakness. We hear people say, oh, she was so desperate. He was so desperate. And you know when people say that, it's never a positive thing. But Jesus doesn't despise our desperation. It's not the dimension of your faith, but the direction of your faith that will save you. Direct your desperation to Jesus. US pastor and theologian Tim Keller writes this, it's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that will save you. It's okay if your faith is full of doubts and holes and fears, if you don't understand what is going on in your life, because this woman didn't really know either. It's actually okay if even coming to church this morning was really tough. Direct your desperation to Jesus. The people of God in Isaiah are crying out for a Messiah, for someone to save and rescue them. And when we get to Isaiah 61, God reveals through Isaiah what this Savior will look like and what he will come to do. We know that this passage points us to Jesus. It tells us that the Savior will comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve, to bestow a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Isaiah 61 tells us about Jesus' manifesto, about who he came and what he came to do. It tells us about God's priorities and his values, about his kingdom. And in this passage in Mark, what strikes me is that Jesus stops in the busyness. And in spite of all the competing demands on his time, he identifies this desperate woman in the crowd. And he identifies her publicly because there's something for us all to remember. He stops for a woman who is a social outcast. And this tells us who Jesus has a lot of time for. Jesus is always trying to connect with the outsider, the person without power, the person whose life is completely in tatters and a complete, absolute brokenness. No one is disqualified in God's kingdom. Jesus shows us that God is a God of grace. He doesn't look at things the way the world looks at things. He doesn't look at the world's standards of power, beauty, status, and achievement. It is all about grace. He says that my power is made perfect in the ones who are simply willing to admit their need. Verse 
It's not about your achievements or what you bring to the table. All you need is need. All you need is nothing. All you need is to recognize your reality, recognize your spiritual poverty. Corrie Ten Boom writes, you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And I think that's such a stark reminder for us who follow Jesus, not only to allow ourselves to be driven into the arms of God during times of desperation and despair, but to also to think about how we view people who are desperate, people who are desperate in our world, people who are broken, helpless, and who have absolutely nothing. When we see Jesus' priorities and who he spends his time with, we'll learn to relax about our own lives. You won't worry so much about seeing, being seen in all the right places with all the right people and being on the inside track. The more time you spend with Jesus, the less concerned you become with climbing the ladder and the more concerned you become with being servant-hearted and developing a heart of compassion for others. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more you become like him and he shows you the things on his heart. That his heart is for people who are heartbroken, poor, trapped, imprisoned, trampled, oppressed and grieving. So what is our response? The woman reaches out and connects with Jesus. She dares to touch him. And she knew she was crossing a boundary. When she touched him, her bleeding immediately stopped and she knew she'd been healed. Jesus realizes that power had gone out from him. And as this woman grabs onto the cloak of Jesus, what she is saying is, whatever happens, you have authority over my life. And in that moment, her life is completely transformed. The woman calls out for help, and immediately she receives help far beyond what she expected. She finds hope. When she touched Jesus, he felt weak. This was something that had never happened before. It was unprecedented. In order for her to get strong, he had to become weak. She is ceremonially unclean. She's unfit to stand in the presence of a holy God based on Old Testament laws. She touched him and she wasn't struck dead. She touches the one in whom God dwells bodily and she doesn't die. How is that possible? How is that possible? It's possible because Jesus was getting a foretaste of what was going to happen on the cross. The woman was healed, not because her uncleanliness had disappeared into thin air. It was because Jesus had taken on her uncleanliness. She is freed from her suffering because he absorbs it. Ultimately, Jesus goes to the cross to substitute himself for us. On the cross, Jesus is completely cut off. He is totally forsaken. We get his beauty and he gets our ashes. We get 
his joy, and he takes our mourning and our despair. He is physically, psychologically, and spiritually broken for us. He takes our filthy rags and puts them on himself, and he clothes us with a robe of righteousness. He lived the life that we could never live, and he died the death that we deserve. This is the most beautiful exchange of all time. Our sin for Christ's righteousness. He takes our sin, our brokenness, and he nails it on the cross. And we can stand in the presence of God, completely known, loved, embraced, forgiven. We have a God who promises never to leave us or abandon us in our time of suffering and desperation because Jesus was completely forsaken by the Father. The woman knows what happened when she connects with Jesus. She comes to her feet. She's trembling with fear and she tells him everything. And instead of receiving judgment, humiliation, rejection, and condemnation, she receives peace and freedom from her suffering. Jesus calls her daughter. Only he has the authority to set her free. And I think some of us here today are perhaps feeling despair. Maybe you don't know where to go with the problems, problems and challenges you face in your life. But this morning, God knows your name. You can come to him right now and just tell him everything. Be honest. No problem or situation in your life is too much for God. He'll never find you too desperate, too needy, or too complicated. How do we respond when we experience dark times in our lives, times when we're scared to hope again? After my dad died, I was in a season where I just couldn't believe that anything good would ever happen to me ever again. My heart was just broken into so many pieces that I didn't think that anything could ever put it all together again. My life, honestly, just felt dead. My life just felt like ashes. And for those of you who feel like there are areas of your life that are so dead right now, that you struggle to believe that anything good, any new life could come from those places, I just want to encourage you to cling onto God. He won't leave you. God is capable of bringing new life out of dead places. The cross tells us that. The cross was not the end. Death is not the end. Just as Jesus defeated death on the cross, our situations don't define us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. Nothing is wasted in God's economy. Nothing. I struggled for a long time to believe that God was in control when I watched my dad die right in front of my very eyes. I've wrestled with questions. I've been angry. 
And even coming to church for a season was just so hard. But I still believe in what it says in Romans 8.28. As much as I wrestle, I still believe that God works all things, both good and bad, for the good of those who love him. Tim Keller writes this. He writes that a God who substitutes himself for us and suffers so that we may go free is a God you can trust. Learning to trust God, even when you don't have the answers, is one of the hardest things in life. All you need is this mustard seed of faith, because that's all this woman had. It's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Encouragement we take away is that no matter what our lot is in life, no matter what our circumstances are, despair is not the end of the story. We don't deny that life can be full of ashes, that our world is full of suffering and pain. But it's possible for things to be good because of the hope that we have in Jesus. Sometimes we will get answers in time about why some things have happened. But I also recognize that there are times when we will never know in this lifetime why some things have happened. We place our hope not in the things of this world. We place our hope in something bigger than ourselves. Sometimes we will find ourselves in that dark place, clinging on to the promises of God. You'll be looking for that light at the end of the tunnel. But the cross reminds us that Jesus sits with us in the dark, sits with us as we weep and as we wait and as we wrestle. Come to Jesus and trade your ashes for his beauty, your mourning for his joy, and your despair for his hope. Psalm 30 Verses 11 to 12 says this. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. That my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. Mm -hmm.